first today. The message I have for you today is based on two sayings of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out and let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And now let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 34 through 35. It's another saying of Jesus that fits right in with the one we just read. Luke 14. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. The title of my message today is, You Are the Salt of the Earth. And the question we're going to look at is, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Jesus told that to his followers. What would those people who heard it then have understood him to mean, and important to us now, today, what, would, what do we understand it to mean? How do we apply that in our lives, and how should we live? How, what should our conduct be based on these words of Jesus? I was intrigued by salt, so I read a book on the world history of salt, and I didn't realize it, but salt uh, is pretty critical to the entirety of human civilization. It had a huge impact on civilization throughout the centuries. It's always been a very precious commodity. Um, even today when we throw it on our roads, it's still a very precious commodity when you're trying to avoid slipping and sliding on the ice. Um, throughout history, people have used various ways to obtain salt. Um, they've mined it out of the earth. They've pumped it out of brine wells or they've evaporated seawater and raked the salt crystals from it. You can see the piles of salt there at the sides of the seawater. Um, many ways to obtain salt. Uh, it was important for trade, for commerce, for daily life. Empires rose out of salt wealth. Revolutions started because of salt. Even in our own war between the states, Salt was a major factor in determining the victory of the North over the South because the North was very salt-rich and the South uh, didn't have salt resources. Now lots of factors or lots of roles salt has played throughout history. And before refrigerators were invented, salt was critical for preserving food, such as fish or meat or vegetables. I'm sure you've all heard of salt pork. I have a before and after picture here of salt pork. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> salt cod, that was a, a great American commodity when there were, when there, when there were abundant cod. Um, one of my favorites, uh, sauerkraut, a way to preserve cabbage. Uh, even animals know the importance of salt. Natural salt licks occur, and you can follow their trails, uh, the animal trails, to the salt licks. 
Um, the book said that the reason a lot of American roads are so chaotic is because they were based on Indian trails, which were based on animal trails. And over time, those animal trails became used by more and more people, and we paved them eventually, and they became roads. But they were animal trails as they were wandering around looking for salt licks. Um, salt's essential for life. Our cells cannot function without salt. But what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? I've encountered many explanations or theories about what Jesus meant by these words. Some people have taught that he was referring to salt as seasoning or as a disinfectant. Um, some said it refers to wages or symbols of covenants or even a de-icing agent. But often the ex explanation is that Jesus was referring to salt as a preservative, like we just looked at with um with uh, preserving meat and vegetables. But how would that apply spiritually if, if salt is a preservative? Does that mean we should be out in the world trying to preserve it to prevent further corruption, to prevent moral decay? Does it imply that the best spiritual times are behind us and we're kind of like hanging on now on the defensive trying to prevent things from, from getting worse? Maybe partly, but a lot of Jesus' words and sayings were not on the defensive, but were on the action side, the offensive. So let's look at the context of his words to see if that helps us sort out the meaning. Uh, his statements about salt we looked at in Matthew 5 come right after his teaching on, uh, on the Beatitudes. And Pastor Ron just finished a series covering all of the Beatitudes, so those should be fresh in our minds sure you remember some of the things Jesus said, uh, people he said who are blessed, uh, the poor in spirit, the meek, the ones who mourn, those who are thirsty for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, even those who are persecuted, Jesus called blessed. But when you think of these different types of people and descriptions of people, um, it seems contrary to the way that we normally think. Our natural human thinking doesn't want to call those people blessed. We see people who are rich and laughing and powerful and successful, and we think, ah, oh, those are the people who are blessed by God. They're on the right track. But Jesus, like he usually does, turns our natural thinking upside down, and he says, look beyond those appearances. Look at the way... God sees, right? He says, you know, God sees the heart. Um, the meek, the peacemakers, the poor in spirit, the persecuted, he says they are the ones entering God's kingdom. They're on the path of eternal life. They're the ones who are blessed. So right after these countercultural beatitudes, and by countercultural I mean against the mainstream, right after he says all of these things that are kind of backwards to our thinking, he talks about being the salt of the earth. So what does he mean? That's the question today. What does he mean? I read an article in Christianity Today that claimed Jesus probably had an agricultural meaning in mind. So I thought about that, agricultural meaning. Well, that seems plausible because a lot of his teaching, his parables, his sayings were agriculturally based. 
His society was an agrarian society. He spoke from the culture. He spoke to things that people would be familiar with and th they would encounter in everyday life. And the title of this article I read was, You Are the Manure of the Earth. And that really caught my attention because I didn't expect to see an article like that in Christianity today. And I thought, oh, I'm going to read more and find out what they're talking about. And the premise of the article was that the people in Jesus' day used salt as fertilizer. And Jesus was telling them, be the fertilizer of the earth. It's not very glamorous or impressive sounding to be called fertilizer. But then again, the people we just talked about in the Beatitudes don't sound impressive and glamorous either by the world's standards. Uh, the article explained that in 1962, the head of the Soils Department at West Virginia University uh, wrote a paper for the magazine Biblical Archaeology. And the author's name was Eugene Dietrich, and his article was titled, Salt Soil Savior. And he explained in it that before modern fertilizers were developed, salt was used in small quantities to improve soil conditions. It was used to help soil retain moisture, to make it easier to till, to, re to free nutrients and minerals in the soil so the plants could flourish. Of course, we all know that putting too much salt around plants will harm them. Um, I experienced this a few years ago when I decided to clean out the water softener tank that I have where the salt, the brine solution is. So I rinsed it all out and I had this thing full of water. I'm like, well, now what am I going to do with all this water? So I thought, well, I'll just, it's water. I'll just put it out in the yard. So I just dumped it out in the yard. And then two days later, I looked and I'm like, why is there a big dead patch of grass in my yard? And Jenny's like, hey, isn't that where you poured all that salt water? Yep, well, too much salt definitely killed the grass, but it did come back. Stronger than ever, probably. But uh, too much will damage the plants. But the salt of the ancient world wasn't like our table salt that's, that's just pure sodium chloride. Uh, it was full of a lot of impurities, a lot of trace minerals, and those are the things that the plants uh, benefited from. Um, just as a side note, Salt-producing companies spent lots of years and lots of money trying to find ways to get all those impurities out and to produce a perfectly uniform, uh, even-pouring product. The mass production of uniform salt was their goal, and that's what people wanted to buy. But now there's kind of a shift back away from this mass-produced uniform product to uh, gourmet salts or artisan salts. On the left, you can see the very uniform salt. And on the right, you see all these beautifully colored different kinds of salt. Well, those colors are dirt. Those are the impurities that they were trying to get out for many years. And now people, and I'm sure you've seen them on the supermarket shelves, you can buy the pink salt and the gray salt and the brown salt from different regions of the world. Kind of shows how our tastes change over time. But I mentioned it to Jenny. I said, this is interesting, but I don't know that I'll really talk about it. And she said, well, look at it maybe from a spiritual angle. Uh, the Bible says we're the body of Christ. And the Bible teaches that just like the body has different parts, so too the body of Christ has different parts. And we all have different roles and different functions to play. 
and different people that we are equipped to reach out to. And if we were all a cloned, mass-produced, even-grained salt that was all the same, if every Christian looked the same and acted the same, if every church was exactly the same, then how would we reach all the diverse people that are out in the world? So our differences and our uniqueness, like the gourmet salts, would enable us to reach different kinds of people. But anyway, that's a sidetrack. Back to salt as fertilizer. Um, Even in modern times, there have been occasions where salt has been used for fertilizer. Uh, During World War II, potassium fertilizers were hard to come by, so some farmers in Britain and Japan used uh, sodium-based fertilizer for their crops. And even recently in the Philippines, uh, they're using salt to fertilize coconut trees to improve their yields. And in the ancient world, salt was also used for uh, manure piles to enhance their fertilizing properties. It made them more effective. So what if we look at salt from a fertilizer point of view instead of from a seasoning or preservative point of view? Because Jesus' words were, you are the salt of the earth. He didn't say you are the salt of the meat. And he did refer to putting salt on the manure piles. So there might be something here for us to investigate. There are three lessons I want to bring out from this concept. And even if you don't agree that he's talking at all about fertilizer, that's fine. It's good to be skeptical. However, these points still apply. So we'll just put that aside and go forward with our three lessons. Um, The first lesson is that fertilizer is for scattering, not clumping together. Too much fertilizer in one place, not good for plants. I'm sure you've seen fields where too much fertilizer was accidentally applied and it like burns the crops or makes them turn brown, temporarily at least. Or if you watch gardening shows on TV, they're always sprinkling fertilizer very evenly and very um, thinly across uh, the soil. Um, That's what I have to do is watch uh, gardening shows because I can't raise gardens. So I just, if I want to see how a nice garden is supposed to look, I have to watch TV shows. Uh, Anyway, um, so how can we as Christians apply this idea of scattering and not clumping? Well, Jesus is saying, go out into the world. Don't just hang around your other Christian friends. But go out like he did, right? Go out among the people of the world, be scattered, uh, intermingle, uh, get involved, and make a difference, just like fertilizer makes a difference in gardens and fields. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't gather here today like we are for church service, for worship, for teaching. But after we are the church gathered, then we need to be the church scattered. And we go out into the mission field of our daily lives, like fertilizer is scattered. And there was a quote in the article in Christianity Today that I'd like to read just a little bit later. Uh, First, I'd like to say that um, Jesus also gave us a command uh, before he ascended. We call it the Great Commission. And what did he tell us? Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So the question we ask ourselves, are we acting like scattered fertilizer? Are we encouraging people wherever we go? Are we stimulating growth? Are we bringing life to places and situations where people are struggling? 
And after we've been somewhere, do people think, wow, I feel so much better that they were here and I talked with them? Or are they relieved that we left? So I'd like to read that quote now from the article, which says, The followers of Jesus Christ are sent on a mission to stimulate growth in the parts of the world that are barren and to be mixed into the manure piles of the world so that God can use that fertilizer to bring new virtuous life. But if those same followers are not committed to the radically countercultural message of Jesus Christ, they lose their saltiness, which is the unique witness to the power of the gospel that brings the kingdom of God to the messes of the world, stimulating life and growth. If we lose our saltiness, we cannot be the agents of change that Jesus intended for his followers to be. So that leads us to our second point, which is that fertilizer is different than the soil. They are distinct. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So don't be conformed to the soil of the world, is to paraphrase. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And the verses we read earlier this morning talked about not losing our saltiness. Jesus doesn't want us to compromise our values and compromise his gospel message and the truth of his word, that he is, he is God. He suffered and died, was buried, rose again, paid for salvation for us by the shedding of his blood. That gospel message cannot be compromised. It can't be watered down so that it fits more with the soil of the world. It has to be distinct. It has to be the salt distinct from the soil. He wants us to behave differently than the world. We need to live by God's standards and not blend in with worldliness around us. And the third lesson is fertilizer does not exist for itself, but it exists for the sake of the plants it is nourishing. If you have a bag of fertilizer and you keep it in your shed and never use it, It is not effective. It doesn't serve a purpose by itself. It exists for application to plants. It exists for the plants. Likewise, our mission is to help spread God's kingdom and cause spiritual growth wherever we go. And as fertilizer, we should target places where nothing is growing right now. And this probably won't look normal to people around us. They may say things like, Why would that couple with small children give up their comfortable American lifestyle and go serve as missionaries in South America? Or, he was such a great athlete, he could have went pro. Why did he give all that up to work a job to support his widowed mother and three siblings? Or, they have such potential in their jobs. Why are they devoting so much time to helping adults with special needs instead of advancing their own careers? See, those are the measurements that God takes. Those, that's the barometer he uses is how are you impacting others for his kingdom, not how are you advancing yourself. And as fertilizer, we measure our value not on how we are increasing our own success or comfort, but by how much impact we're making in the growth of others around us. 
And this focus on others, I think, over time is becoming more and more countercultural to society or opposite to the mainstream. Because what does society tell us? Look out for yourself. No one else will. But what does Jesus say? The last will be first. The greatest is the servant. And the world says, be greedy and hoard and make sure you have enough and don't let anyone take it away from you. And what does Jesus say? Give generously. Consider the poor. Help those around you who have needs. And society tells us, hate your enemies. Get revenge. Take vengeance on them. And what does Jesus say? Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. So when we look around us, it's pretty clear. The world needs some salt. It needs some fertilizer. There are lost people everywhere who are stumbling through life, looking for meaning. They have little hope. And that's where Christians, salty Christians, can make a difference. This is where Christians can share the good news of Jesus Christ. This is where we can be the fertilizer that Jesus wants us to be, bringing life and growth to the dry and thirsty world around us. And I'd like to close with a story about, uh, that I heard Joyce Meyer share, and it's about the founder of the Salvation Army, uh, William Booth. That's William Booth, in case you wondered who the random guy was on the screen. It was Christmas Eve, 1910. General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army in London, England, was near the end of his life. His health was poor, and he was going to be unable to attend the Army's annual convention. Booth had become an invalid, and his eyesight was failing him. No, no one knew he would not live to see another Christmas. Somebody suggested that General Booth send a telegram or a message to be read at the opening of the convention as an encouragement to the many soldiers of the Salvation Army that would be in attendance following Christmas and their many hours of labor ministering to so many others through the holidays in the cold winter months. Booth agreed to send the telegram. Knowing that funds were limited and desiring not to use any more money than necessary so that as much money as possible could be used to help the many people in need, General Booth decided to send a one-word message. He searched his mind and reviewed his years of ministry, looking for the one word that would summarize his life, the mission of the army, and encourage the others to continue on. When the thousands of delegates met, the moderator announced that Booth would not be able to present, be present because of failing health and eyesight. Gloom and pessimism swept the floor of the convention, and then the moderator announced that Booth had sent a message to be read with the opening of the first session. He opened the telegram and read the one-word message, Others. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the teaching that we can apply into our lives. Lord, as we go forth today and this week, we pray that you would use us as salt in the earth, as fertilizer, Lord, to bring about growth for your kingdom, spiritual growth in the lives of people we encounter, whether that would be at school or at work 
or at Vacation Bible School. Lord, but everywhere we go, we desire that we would be a catalyst, a stimulant for growth, that our lives would be good examples, that our words would be encouraging words, full of life-giving uh, power from your word. Lord, that we would be not ashamed of your gospel, but that we would proclaim it wherever we have opportunity. And we thank you for your love for us and for your graciousness and for your mercy and your kindness. And we pray now that as we go forth, we would go forth in your blessing and that we would advance your kingdom. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.